days I lose life I'm my best but just don't get it right Where I talk and talk but I don't walk Miss the moments right before my Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped Somebody with a hand that I could have held well, I just can't see past myself Oh, help me be A little more like mercy A little more like grace A little more like kindness And goodness and love and faith A little more like patience A little more like peace A little more like Jesus a little less like me. Yeah, there's no denying I have changed. I've been saved from who I used to be. But even at my best, I must confess I still need help. See the way you see. Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped. Somebody with a hand that I could have helped. And I just can't see past myself. Lord, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness and goodness and love and faith. A little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. I want to feed the beggar on the street, love to be your hands and feet, to freely give what I receive, Lord, help me be. And I want to put you first above all else, I love my neighbor as myself. In the moments no one sees, Lord, help me be, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness and goodness and love and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus. Oh, Thank you, Byron. Good morning. It's good to see you here. Welcome to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. And uh, for those of you that are visiting today, we're so glad to have you. Join us, and we know as the vaccination process goes along, a lot of you are more and more comfortable being back, and it is so good to see more and more faces each and every week. And uh, just welcome to the service. And as we begin the service, just a couple of announcements. Just want to remind you, if you're visiting, to please stop by our guest table on your way out. We have some guest bags there. Even if no one's there, please take one of those, and we have a guest card there you can fill out. Please uh, 
let us have a record of your visit and know how we can serve you better, but please stop by there on your way out. Also, to those that are here that uh, would like your Sunday school curriculum, as we go into this spring quarter, um, all that curriculum is, is in the takeout room. If you haven't picked that up, that's available there for your convenience. If you want to continue to study on Sunday mornings, that material is there, including our children's materials. So please stop by our takeout room before you leave, and that will be available throughout this, this quarter. Um, but right now, as we begin our service, I'm going to ask you to stand, and as you stand, and I want to read a passage of Scripture from Revelation chapter 4. And the context of this is around the throne, and it's being said, and I think it is biblical for us to join what is happening around the throne, even in this place today, declaring of God that you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, and he is worthy in this place, and may that be the cry of our heart as we worship. Take just a minute to wave at your neighbor. Welcome them to the service, and let's worship together.
truly need the Lord, don't we? I want to share an announcement real quick. Uh, this, this month, uh, we're celebrating with CEF, that's Child Evangelism Fellowship. Uh, we've been involved with them for the last eight years. They're our missionary of the, of the month, and we want you to be praying for them. Also, last year, they were unable to have their banquet. Uh, this year, they're going to have it online uh, the 22nd of this month. You can go online. Uh, the information's in our bulletin, and you can see how to do that. But I encourage you to give and help them. We hope to be back in our schools this fall. So be in prayer for that. Uh, and some other things I want you to pray about. Ryan Elder went home to be with the Lord this week. I want you to pray for Gary and Kathy and Jatana and Claudette Huffman family. Remember, remember that family as well, her funerals today. And I want you to remember my son Trent. Trent will be leaving for country at the end of the month with his group of people. He'll be gone for two years. I want you to pray for him. Pray for his mom. Pray for me and uh, be praying for that. He'll have a commission at the end of the month. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that we can rejoice in you. This is the day you've made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And Father, we are so grateful to know you. And Lord, would you come and renew your people again? Lord, would you bring mercy and grace upon our nation again, upon the church again? Father, we need you. Every hour, we need you. And Father, this morning, we need you. I pray you'd bless this time of worship. Bless the preaching, the singing for your honor and for your glory and for the fatherment of your kingdom. And Father, this morning, we want to pray for the elder family, the Huffman family. We pray that you would be with them, Lord, today and the days to come. Be a trend, and Lord, as they get prepared to go at the end of the month, Lord, prepare them and prepare our families, Lord, as we let them go. And Father, this morning, we thank you for loving us. We thank you this is the day you've made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Restlessness 
If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to Romans chapter 13. Uh, if you've been with us uh, the last 10 weeks, we've been in Romans chapter 12. So logically what follows is Romans chapter 13. And I think this will be a very uh, practical message this morning. We're going to talk about God, the government, and the church. Okay, And I'm not going to talk about one policy in America today. So those of you that thought I was, I'm not going to. But notice what the Bible says. And I will say this on the outset. Paul, when he writes uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7, he's not given a manifesto on the government. He's not. He's not, he's not, he's not given this complex uh, thought about the government. He gives us some principles about the government. Paul could not vote. Paul did not live under a constitution. Paul did not live in America. He lived under a dictatorship. So some things that preachers sometimes try to apply from that day to this day, you just can't. Okay, You just can't. But there's some principles here. There are some principles here that we should all apply. 
Now notice what the Bible says. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Stop right there. Does that mean I have to obey the government? Look at the word subject. Okay, we're going to talk about that word. But there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God's sovereign? Or do you believe God sits up there just wringing his hands, sitting in a rocking chair, hoping everything turns out all right? The God I serve is sovereign, regardless of who the president is in America. Regardless of who is uh, the leader in Russia or China, God is sovereign. Therefore, he says, verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And basically what he's saying is this. If you break the law, you're going to pay for it. And that's a good thing, is it not? Notice what else he says. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but evil most of the time. All right. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have, what does he say? Praise from the same. He says, if you don't break the law, you don't have nothing to worry about. Isn't that a blessing? For he is God's minister to you for good. Look at the word minister. Talking about government servants, then and now, that's the same word we use for deacons. Think about that. See, God can use anybody at any time, any way he wants to. And then he goes on to say this. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister. There's the word again. And avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Aren't you thankful that we have government structures in place that can bring judgment on evil? Look at the word evil. That's bad. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that we have a police department, sheriff's department? Aren't you thankful that we have a military? All those are government entities. Aren't you thankful? Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you must also pay taxes. And all of God's people said? There you go. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. He says, you've got to pay these people. Render therefore to all due, their due, excuse me, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor is due. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, we know that there are differences of opinion even on this text. Uh, but Father, we pray that we leave this service today, Lord, having respect for our country, having respect for our government, having respect for our government leaders at all levels, Father. And then, Lord, encourage Christians to serve in these areas. Lord, you're encur- you encourage throughout history Christians to serve in public office and to bring their convictions and their conscience into play into public policy. And, Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us, and we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Ray Pritchard, who I have a lot of respect for, said this about this text. He said, it's been said... It has often been said that God only established three institutions. Think about this. The home or the family, the church, and the government or the state. In doing so, he gave us explicit instructions on how all three were to operate. Most Christians know a great deal about what God has to say about the home and the church. We know much less about what God has to say about the state and how we should relate to it. In this section, Paul tells us how the citizens of the kingdom of God are to relate to human kingdoms and governments so that we can be the kind of citizens and lighthouses that God wants us to be. So the first thing that we all should do, all right, when it comes to the government, point number one is this, we should submit to the government most of the time. Okay? We should submit to the government most of the time. Notice verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God 
uh, all authority is established by God. I love how one commentator put it. He said in Romans 9.17, Paul tells us that God raised up Pharaoh, that wicked, hard-hearted king, and set him on the throne of Egypt. Think about that. The pain in Israel's side, God raised up to be on the throne. Do you believe God is sovereign? He goes on to say this. Paul told us in Romans 9. He said, God did that. God made Nebuchadnezzar. He, he said he was my servant in Jeremiah 25, 9. The most powerful ruler in the world and used him to punish his own chosen, pe chosen people. Cyrus was also God's servant. And he was raised up and set on the throne by God as well. Isaiah 44, 28 and Isaiah 45, 1. Before he was even born, God gave Cyrus his name. Isn't that amazing? And says, he will be my servant. All throughout the Old Testament, God represents himself as a controlling force behind every government on earth without exception. And also during all that, people still have human responsibility to do good and bad. God is El Elyon, the sovereign most high God over all the earth. Every government that exists is held in the palm of God's hand. It can only go as far as God wills. It is under his control. It has been instituted by him. God instituted, think about this, after the flood, God instituted the first system of human government when he said this, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's governmental language. That decree gave authority to men to judge criminal matters and to punish offenders. God sometimes, for his own purposes, may even let wicked men serve in positions of power, such as Nebuchadnezzar. And the Apostle Paul himself was imprisoned and finally executed by Nero. Go study Nero's life. What a wicked, morally depraved man. Wicked, morally depraved. Paul tells us here that human government is ordained by God for the benefit of society. In whatever form, the many forms of it exist, civil authority derives directly from God. Like marriage, it is a universal institution. There is no governmental authority except that which is ordained by God. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Notice what Jesus said to Pilate in John chapter 19. Then Pilate said to him, are you, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? That's what Pilate's saying to Jesus. It's like he's saying, are you not going to talk to me? I just had you scourged. Do you realize I have the authority and the power to let you go? Notice what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. He says, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. It's like Jesus is saying, Pilate, you're a little boy. God's controlling this situation. And I could call legions of angels now if I wanted to be free, but I didn't. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets him over the lowliest of men. Daniel is telling us through, through uh, this, this story with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar understood that I am in power because God allowed me to be in power. Now notice back in verse 1 of Romans chapter 13. Paul says this, let every soul be subject. Look at the word subject. Your, your translation may say submit. 38 times in the New Testament the Bible talks about submission. Just a few. Demons submit to Jesus. Wives are called to submit to husbands. Children to parents. Christians to church leaders. And us to each other in Ephesians 5 21. And then everyone to, to the government. And this is what he says. To oppose authority established by God is to bring judgment on yourself. Paul is saying here in verses 1 and 2, if we resist the government, we resist God. But Paul is not teaching blind devotion. He's Look at the word evil. If you do evil, you should expect consequences. But let me ask you this question. Okay, don't get asked much. 
Paul is not teaching blind devotion to the state regardless of what it commands. We are a nation because we were resisting a hostile government, if I'm not mistaken. There were about 13 colonies who showed civil disobedience and we became a nation. Some of my friends will ask this, as a Christian, aren't we supposed to obey the government? Isn't that what Romans 13 teaches? Do you realize that when Hitler came to power, the Lutherans in Germany, the church in Germany, the reason he could do all the horrible things he did is they would quote Romans 13. You must obey the governing authorities. The Bible never says that. Look at the word subjection. Okay? Look at the word subjection. Look at the word that your, your Bible may say submit. Okay? The Bible never says you're to obey, blindly obey. You're to respect and honor. The word submit never means obey. You remember the old marriage vows? The man, the preacher would say to the man, you know, you love your wife, blah, blah, blah. And he says to the woman, you must obey your husband. Where did he get that from? That's not in the Bible. The word submit does not mean obey. Okay? It does not mean obey. Children are to obey their parents, and that's the only time you see that word obey. Submission. Submission does not mean obey. Do you think I can command my wife to do something, and she's just going to do it? If so, you don't know her too well. Okay? The word submission does not imply that. The Greek word is hupotasso. It literally means to arrange under stuff. It's a, a humbling thing. We arrange ourselves under the government, don't we? We submit to the government. We sure do. Yes, we do. Submission means I'm respectful to those that God places in my life, voluntarily yielding them to them when I am persuaded by their arguments. Okay? That's what makes marriage beautiful. When a, when a wife submits to her husband, she does so because he loves her like Jesus. Why would you not? Okay? Why, why would you not submit to a government that's operating like God intended it to? Well, you would. Your life will be better. Your community will be better. You'll be a better citizen. But that does not mean blind devotion or obedience. Civil disobedience is all throughout the Bible. Because people lived under all kinds of terrible governments. Okay? Be thankful you live in America. All right? I don't care if, if Donald Trump is president or Joe Biden. This is the best government in the world. There's no second. Okay? Go to another country. And look at those countries and how they live. You're blessed to live in America. All right? You're so blessed to live in the country that you live in. But that does not mean that just because the government, either tomorrow or 50 years from now, says something that you blindly obey it. A Christian can submit to authority while disobeying authority. For obedience to occur, a Christian must be convinced of the propriety, legality, and the benefit of an action. So to obey is completely different than to submit. Listen to this. Respectful dissent and the willingness to pay the price is submission. You ever heard of Martin Luther King? He respectfully denied, disobeyed the government, but he was still respectful to him. Okay? Civil disobedience. For a Christian to submit in Romans 13.1 while disobeying government authorities means that the Christian is respectful and civil, but unconvinced of the morality of the action demanded and is willing to pay the price for the dissent because the government bears a sword. Is civil disobedience ever okay? Well, let's look in the Bible. How do you decide if civil disobedience is ever okay? Okay, imagine being a citizen in Germany when Hitler was in power. Is it okay? Is it okay to be disobedient to Hitler's commands? I would say so. Listen, how do you decide three ways? When government forbids what God commands. 
The government cannot forbid what God commands. When government commands what God forbids, if it does, when government commands what isn't theirs to command, all call for civil disobedience in a humbling manner, in a, in a submission way. Notice how it's happened throughout the Old Testament. Exodus 1, 17. Pharaoh said, kill all the babies. That was a decree. That was an executive order. Kill them all. But notice, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Aren't you thankful we got Moses? Wasn't that a blessing? What if they just showed blind devotion to Pharaoh? All the boys would be dead. Notice Nebuchadnezzar's uh, executive order. In Daniel chapter 3, the Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have, to, we have no need to answer you in this matter. See, Nebuchadnezzar said it was, a, it was a decree throughout the land. When they start playing music, you bow to my image. It was a governmental authority, executive action, and they said, we can't do it. We cannot do it. Notice what they say. If it is that case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. They're saying this, look, we can't do this. I know what you're saying to do, but I cannot, as a follower of God, bow down to your image. And my God can deliver me. All right? Now notice the consequences that come with civil disobedience, because there always are some. Then they go on to say this, but if not, they say this, look, this is what they say. If you throw us in that fiery furnace, God can deliver us, but if he don't, he's still God and I'm not serving your gods. See, if you're going to be civilly disobedient, you've got, you got to be willing to pay the consequences for that. So you better have a good cause. You better have a tremendously good cause. Notice in Daniel chapter 6, you have uh, Daniel praying. The king came along, King Darius, and said, you cannot pray. You cannot pray. And the Bible says this, so Daniel prayed, so the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Okay, civil disobedience, he suffered the consequences because in his conviction, in his conscience was, if I, I am going to pray to the God that I know, and you can't stop me, I don't care what the government says, I am going to pray. Acts chapter 5, the Bible says this. Think about this. But Peter and the other apostles answered him and said, we ought to obey God. Listen to how this starts out. Then the captain went to the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. This is the Sanhedrin. They said, you cannot preach in the temple area. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? That was our law. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood, talking about Jesus, on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And notice how God handled this. It's not on the screen, I don't think. Notice the verses before. Then this high priest rose up, and all those who were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation at these men, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in, in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Why were they arrested? Because God let them out of jail and said, Go preach. Civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. We ought to obey God rather than man. Notice this picture on the wall. Or up on the screen, I'm sorry. That's Paul being, this is Paul in Damascus in Syria after God saves him. Okay, the governor sent a letter saying, you have to come, we're going to put you in prison. Did God, did Paul obey the government at that time? No, he said, put me in a basket and help me escape jail. The Bible's full of people. Listen, John was on the Isle of Patmos. How many of you like the book of Revelation? 
He was on the Isle of Patmos because he disobeyed the government. He was. Most of the epistles in the New Testament Paul wrote, guess from where? Jail. Why? He disobeyed the government. Because God's word and God's commission on his life did not line up with the government call at the time. You cannot preach this gospel. And Paul says, yes, I can. Because I've been commissioned by God to do it. And the consequences of my civil disobedience are worth it to me. And then most people think that Paul died in that prison. Peter died in that prison. You know the word martyr comes from people who were civilly, who, who disobeyed the government because they were preaching? I mean, history is filled with those things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor, preacher. Okay? Hitler was rising to, to his power. He saw the evil that he was. And he attempted to assassinate him and was hanged. Think about that. Martin Luther King writes his letter from the Birmingham jail. You need to read it sometime. Where he, he, he led civil disobedience. Okay? So sometimes, sometimes there has to, that has to happen. Okay? But you better make sure you're willing to pay the consequences. And you better make sure it's a God thing. Not a tax thing. Not a whatever thing. Not a Democrat or Republican thing. Because God, God's, God's not going to honor that. But it better be, it better be a God thing. Because God has given the church rights and authority regardless of what the government has to say. The second thing is this. You must be a good citizen. Think about this. You, must, you should be model citizens of whatever country we belong to. Praying for our leaders, acting as salt and light, shining in the darkness, and creating a thirst for God. Think about Daniel. He served under two kings who bowed their heads to the glory of Israel's God. Think about that. Daniel was put in a position of government leadership. And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius both worshipped God. Isn't that amazing? Notice verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but the bad. The governments are here to preserve what is right. Think about how, how bad life would be without any government. Israel experienced this. In Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. A tidal wave of evil would crash over Israel because there was no civil authorities restraining the rebellion. Governments, according to verses 2, 3, and 4, are to punish wrongdoers. Look at the word, to bear the sword. That basically means that the government has a right to severely punish those who do wrong. And you're thankful for that, aren't you? I am. I'm so thankful for that. Government is ordained by God for the protection and preservation of social order and for the punishment of those who do evil. You should be thankful, once again, for your police department, sheriff's department, for your military, for, for EMS workers and all those people. You should be thankful for what they do. Those in government are called over and over again God's servants, which means this. I would tell you, not me as a pastor. All right, I'm not running for office. I remember back in 2009 or 2008, I had a group approach me to run for county commissioner. Okay, And we had a member of our church who had been a county commissioner, and he was in the hospital. And, and I went to him and I said, hey, a couple people came to me, and I'm in this district, whatever, and I, they asked me to do this, and he looked up at me, and this is what he said. He took his oxygen off, and he said, are you stupid? <laughs> I said, have a good day, brother. And I just walked off. No, he said, you're a preacher, preach. And I said, you're right, I'm a preacher, preach. Okay, but that's not your calling. God may call you to serve. Do you realize that God has used Christians throughout the world in other countries and this one to bring about tremendous change in those countries? Read the history of Rome from the time of Nero to the time Constantine 
uh, gets born again and how the Christians change Rome, the whole culture. Think, think about this. Look on the screen. Christians were primarily responsible for the outlawing of infanticide, child abandonment, and abortion in the Roman Empire by 37, 374. Back in those days, if you didn't want a, your baby because she was a girl, there's a place you'd place them. You'd either throw them off the cliff or somebody would come pick them up. Typically with the girls, you became prostitutes or temple prostitutes. And for the boys, you probably was a gladiator or something, okay, or a beggar. Christians came along, all right, overwhelmed the culture, and they stopped that. Isn't that a blessing? Is that not good? Isn't it good you don't leave kids on the side of the road? That's because of Christians, not because Nero had a, had a soft spot in his heart. Okay? It's because Christians were involved in government and changed it. Notice what else. They outlawed the brutal battles to the death of gladiators in 404. Is that not a good thing? I mean, is that not a good thing where men aren't killing them each other for sport in front, of, uh, in front of thousands of people? Notice what else. They outlawed the punishment for branding the faces of criminals. They instituted prison. This is throughout history. They instituted prison reforms that included segregating male and female prisoners. Is that not a good thing? Could you imagine a prison system where men and women shared the same cells? I mean, Christians came along and said, this is not right. This is not right. And they went and served in their government, brought their Christian conscience and convictions, and changed the laws. Notice what else. They stopped the practice of human sacrifice among the Irish and Prussians. Is that not good that people aren't killing people and sacrificing them? Pretty good thing, right? Because Christians got involved and they did that. Notice what else. They argued and eventually outlawed pedophilia. Children had no rights. People were pagan and morally depraved. Christians were being born again saying this has to stop. This has to stop. You cannot abuse children like that. Listen, read history. I'm amazed at how blinded people are. How, how, how blinded people are by how, how far a society can become so morally depraved to think pedophilia is okay. Christians serving in government, they stopped it. Isn't that a blessing? Notice, Christians primarily were the reason behind granting of property rights and other protections for women. They prohibited the burning alive of widows in India by 1829. That's not that far off. And that's something. Have you ever heard of William Wilberforce? William Wilberforce. Think about William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce got born. He was born again. God gloriously saved him. And he was a smart man. He says, i got to do something to help our community. So he served. He would gather weekly with a group of wealthy and influential believers. And they strategically developed plans and methods to bring their Christian conscience to bear within the culture. They not only successfully ended slave trading by 1840 throughout Great Britain. But notice some other things that they, they started. I don't know if these are going to be on the screen or not. They organized the Society for the Education of the Africans. The Society for Bettering the Conditions of the Poor. The Society for the Relief of Debtors. They saw the release of 14,000 debtors over a five-year period, which allowed them to actually get jobs so they could pay off their debt. What a novel idea. They also established hospitals for the poor and the blind. They helped war widows and veterans in need of medical and psychiatric help. And when John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, writes to William Wilberforce because he saw the impact he was having through government policy he says, should I get involved? And this is what William Wilberforce says. Stay your post and do not give up the work. You've been placed there by God. Not everybody's called to serve in the government, right? If you are, do. In Alexander County, okay, we've been blessed by good Christian men and women who serve in the government. Danny Dice is one of the best men I know. Clerk of court. 
good Christian man, deacon here, solid Christian. Scott Hines, who's a member here, is Register of Deeds. Good Christian man, solid Christian. Chris Bowman and Douglas Bowman are good friends of mine. Sheriff and police officer. Do you realize that the sheriff that you vote for is just important for your constitutional rights as the president of the United States? Do you realize that local elections are just as important, even more so, than federal elections? I'm amazed at what little people know. Chris Bowman is a good Christian man, and so is his son, and he's the chief of police. The mayor came by my office last week. You know what we talked about? Jesus. Isn't that something? Don't you love living in Alexander County? Don't you love it? County commissioners all born again. Okay? We're so blessed here. And I would tell you, you want to enact change? Then serve. If that's what God's called you to do. He ain't called me to do that. But if he's called you to do that, do that. God says people who serve in government, people who serve in government, you're like ministers of God if, if you bring your Christian conscience to bear. The third thing is this, and I'll, I'll hurry up. You must pay your taxes. None of us like paying taxes. But we should. You know why? The Bible tells us so. You know, if there are some parts of the Bible I would cut out, it would be this one, but I'm not going to. But notice what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Just verse 6 says it too. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You say we, our taxes are too high. Every time, every year taxes are too high, are they not? Don't you think so? But listen about Rome. This is where Paul lived. We may think we're heavily taxed, but hardly more so than the first century. Rome had an income tax, a head tax, a poll tax, a road tax, a wagon tax, crop tax, import tax, export tax, harbor tax, bridge tax, to only name a few. The Caesars lived in a lifestyle that cost a lot of money, and you had to pay taxes for that. And Paul said this, listen, Paul said this, pay your taxes. Wow. Now, if I was going to rebel about paying taxes, it would be in Paul's culture. You got nothing for your taxes back then. Okay? You got nothing for your taxes back then. Think about this. Jesus believed in paying taxes in Matthew 17, if I can find it. Notice what he tells Peter. Okay? They had come to Capernaum. Those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay temple tax? He said, Yes. When he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, Jesus says this. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said, strangers. Jesus said, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. When you've opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take it and give it to them for you and me. I had my taxes done last month, and I took a fishing pole. And he said, it's not going to work, preacher. It's not going to work. You've got to pay your taxes. Jesus told Peter to pay the tax. Just pay the tax. If you're going to be a good citizen and an honest citizen, you must pay the tax. And then the final thing, this is more important, is this. The church and Christians, you must share the gospel. Now hear, hear me clearly on this. Do not place your trust in politics. Don't do it. There's good and bad on both sides. Always have been, always will be. Okay? You know about half of what you're told. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like a kindergarten teacher says, you believe half of what they tell you, and we'll believe half of what they tell us. All right? Don't put your faith in politics. Vote, serve, have a side, praise the Lord, but don't put your faith in them. You know why? Because we belong to a government. It's the kingdom of God. We have a king. We have a king. 
The hope for Washington, D.C. in our culture is the same as the person who works next to you, and that's Jesus. Some people get their doctrine from their political party. Get your doctrine from the Bible. Our relationship to society is not to reform it, but to redeem it one person at a time. That's been our commission. God is not in heaven wringing his hands over the election. He's not breaking a sweat over the turmoil in the Middle East. Sometimes I think we forget that God is sovereign. God has never been elected. and He's not up for re-election anytime soon. He sits on a throne that is fixed. His throne is fixed. The state does not have the equipment to bring about lasting change. Only the gospel delivers a new nature. When Paul went into Corinth, it was so wicked and so perverse. When they saw a woman who was grossly immoral, they called her a Corinthian girl. You know what he did? He preached the gospel. The church was made up of these people, embezzlers, homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters, and drunkards. He preached the gospel, and the people were saved. Then change came. When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, it was so morally depraved. Nero was a pedophile. He was so wicked. The laws were so wicked. And what did Paul do? He preached the gospel. One scholar says, this was the century that Christ determined was a century in which to plant the living church and the church thrived. Politics didn't change those people. The gospel did, and then it led to other things. We've not been called to save America. We've been called to save Americans, though. And if, you save, if enough Americans are saved, you won't have to worry about your nation. I'm amazed at the number of people who forget the gospel. I think we forget that a policeman can go to hell just as quickly as a prostitute. That a judge, a superior court judge, can go to hell just as quickly as a drug addict that he's sentenced into jail the gospel is the difference when Jonah went to Nineveh as God's messenger he said repent and the whole place did Okay, I don't know if you remember E.V. Hill but E.V. Hill was a pastor in L.A. African American preacher great preacher you can go on YouTube and hear some of his old sermons but whenever E.V. Hill was in another state he was part of a, 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 a one of the parties and he was a block captain and all that block captain did was this you, this is your block you make sure everybody that likes us votes for us on voting day. All right? Sounds like a good plan, don't it? When he moved to L.A., there were 3,100 blocks. And he's working for this political party, but he's got this church too, right? And he's out here, you know, his party called and said, Hey, E.V., you got a lot of work to do. He said, Yeah, I got to get these block captains out here because uh, we got to go vote, right? And then you know what the Holy Spirit did? This is what the Holy Spirit said. Why don't you have a block captain for me? Why don't you have a block captain for your church? You know what? Within, I think, five to ten years, he had 1,900 block captains. And instead of telling people to go vote, you know what they said? You going to church this morning? They said, Evie said in his autobiography, he said, or, one, or somebody wrote about him, said, he said, one man was so upset that he changed blocks, and Evie had another block captain there. He said, you people are everywhere. Okay? See, what Evie understood was this. Politics are important, but they're not more important than the gospel. Nothing's more important than the gospel. I would say this. If you're a born-again Christian and you pass out more voter guides than you do tracks, you need to repent. If you'll spend more time at a polling place than you will BBS or Sunday school, you need to repent. Okay? If you wear your, your president's shirts, but don't ever wear nothing that says anything about Jesus, where does your loyalty lie? All right? Submit to the government as best you can. Be a good citizen. Pray for your nation. And thank God every day that you live in America. Would you really want to live anywhere else? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And as you bow your heads and close your eyes, are you a part of the kingdom? Who is your king? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? The only hope 
that you have is Jesus. Place your faith in the resurrected Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are not made right, Paul says in the book of Romans, by keeping the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus who saves sinners. And I would encourage you to place your faith in Jesus. And then if you're here today, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Pray for your president right now. Pray for him. Whether you agree with him or not. The Bible says we're to pray for him. Paul prayed for Nero. I think you can pray for our president. Pray for your governor, whether you agree with him or not. Pray for your county commissioners, whether you agree with them or not. I would encourage you to pray for your sheriff and chief of police, whether you agree with them or not. And then pray for, the other, pray for our other government officials. And then thank the Lord that we live in America. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, you've placed us in pleasant places. Not just in America, but Lord, we live in Alexander County. Lord, I'm so thankful that I live here. I'm so thankful that I can worship here. Lord, you've given us so many freedoms that I pray that we'd never take those for granted. I want to thank you for the men and women of our military. Lord, who serve, who give us those freedoms and are protecting those freedoms right now. Father, I want to lift up our, our uh, government workers from, Lord, school teachers to those who uh, serve on boards, Lord, to those who serve in the community, uh, Lord, uh, fire, firefighters, EMS, all those people, Lord, are only made possible because we pay taxes and we have a government system that works. And Father, I pray, Lord, I repent of it myself. It's real easy to get caught up in all the political hysteria that we forget about the gospel. And Lord, it's amazing when people get saved, how things change. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you do for us and we love you very much. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday and hope to see you back here next week.